This is the Frontier of Finance, the podcast that covers the hottest new funds and important milestones of marquee funds in Canada. On the Frontier, we go directly to the source, interviewing portfolio managers, executives, and sales leaders at the top asset management firms. Stay on top of the latest innovations, react to market trends, and make better investment decisions for your clients. I'm your host, James Rockwood, and I'm welcoming you to the Frontier of Finance. Diversification theory is probably the most pervasive investment strategy out there. The goal is to minimize the risk of a single bad event wiping out your client's entire portfolio while still taking advantage of growth in other types of asset classes, industries, geographies, and more. Today, we're taking a look at a strategy for geographical diversification using global equities. We'd like to thank our friends at BMO Global Asset Management for connecting us with today's guest who's joining us from GuardCap Asset Management a UK-based firm that manages the BMO Concentrated Global Equity Fund, or CGE. Michael Hughes joined GuardCap in 2014 as a Senior Vice President and Client Portfolio Manager. Prior to this, he worked in global investments at Trinity Street Asset Management and was Managing Director at JP Morgan Asset Management. Michael, welcome to the frontier. Thanks very much, James. Good to be here. I'm really excited to dig in this because I feel like global equity is a really relevant and really important class and category to invest in. And so for the listeners, what does global equity mean from a Canadian perspective? Is it investing in the US or does it go beyond that? Yeah, in fact, there are different interpretations of of what global equity means, but the two normal approaches are either that you have investments in global so-called developed markets. So you're excluding emerging markets. And then you have other funds that invest in emerging markets alongside global developed markets. And they may perhaps try and invest in the emerging markets tactically when things are going to go well and pull out of them when things are going to go badly. Uh, That introduces a degree of timing, which can make life difficult for the portfolio managers. Portfolio managers don't always get timing right. This strategy is a pure global developed market equity strategy. So there are no emerging market listed companies in it. it. But you do get exposure to emerging markets from the fact that it invests in multinationals that sell a certain proportion of their goods to the emerging world. So they benefit from the growth of emerging market middle class incomes. But you don't take on the full weight of emerging market risk uh, via these companies. And I think that brings up a really good point for my next question, which is with economies across the globe recovering at different rates and with some in more perilous situations than others, both economically and COVID-wise, why invest in global equities now as opposed to just the countries that are doing the best? Well, you can, again, have two approaches. You're right, not all global equity markets will do well from this point. And it's worth remembering that global equity markets, generally speaking, have been doing very well up to now. And the problem with that is that sentiment is really quite bullish. Valuations are really quite high. And that can be a fairly dangerous point at which to invest, particularly if you invest in more vulnerable countries. The nature of this strategy is that it invests really in absolutely sort of top quality companies Rather than choosing countries uh, to invest in, it invests in countries in companies which do business all over the world and yet have strong downside protection characteristics. So the overall strategy has a history of strongly holding up well 
when the market does badly and, and then keeping up with the market when it's doing well. And so it means that you can go into global equities even at this point, this juncture, if you like, in the cycle with a little bit of assurance that the, the history of this strategy is very much about downside protection. So it's more than just sort of picking the country. It's really thinking more about larger companies, multinational companies that are serving the country so that you still get some exposure to them through the businesses that work and that sell into that country. Is that a fair way to summarize it? That's right. I mean, you know, for us, actually, these days where a company is listed, um, particularly if it's listed in one of the so-called developed markets, is of secondary importance. What we really think about is, okay, here we've got our portfolio of great companies. We must make sure that we don't build up too much exposure via these companies to one kind of economy or another. We make sure that we don't get overexposed to the US, for example, because you know, if the US dollar goes up or down, that can impact your returns, uh, even from that market. So what we do is we invest in companies first and foremost, but then make sure that we're well diversified in terms of the geographic exposure that these companies have. So we look through the report and accounts of the companies and work out where are they doing business, and then make sure that the overall portfolio is well diversified in that respect. And the old kind of fascination with, you know, should you be overweight or underweight the U.S.? When you are as, as stock selective as we are, as we are, it doesn't really make that much difference nowadays. Because generally speaking, particularly global developed markets tend to move as a group. They're not completely correlated to each other. Some will do better than others, and some will have, you know, aspects and issues that are particular to them. But broadly speaking, you know, trying to add value by being overweight or underweight a country is is unlikely to work uh, sustainably. It's very hard to find an investment process that will enable you to do that sustainably. Whereas we believe that you can analyze the details of companies, get them right, and then make sure that when you put the overall portfolio of companies together, you're not building up too much exposure or dependence on one geographic you know, area or another. And I know you've alluded to it a little bit, but let's talk a bit about the, the BMO Concentrated Global Equity Fund. I know it's one of GAM's marquee funds. Why was the fund created and what is, what is its goal? Well, Firstly, perhaps to discuss, you know, why was it created? The nature of this strategy, which actually has a long history before, you know, it came into the, the BMO GAM family of funds, is that it actually doesn't ever invest in so-called cyclical companies of any kind. So the starting point for selecting a company is that it's engaged in a secular growth industry. And the strategy steers clear of industries which are cyclical and in which the companies are price takers rather than price givers, and in which companies are you know, vulnerable to economic downturns. So, for example, in all its 24 years of the history of the strategy behind this fund, it's never held a bank, nor a mine, nor an oil company, steel, chemicals, autos, airlines, anything that is you know, vulnerable to a sudden downturn in the economy. And of course, so one of the reasons why the strategy, you know, was was selected by BMO GAM, if you like, is because it's an ideal diversifier for um, investors who may have quite strong exposure to Canadian equities, which tend to be, you know, more richly represented in those kind of sectors, banks, mines, oil companies. So this is an ideal, if you like, complement to a Canadian equity portfolio. And actually, you know, it has a great characteristic that when Canadian equities are doing particularly well, this strategy doesn't tend to do so well, and then vice versa. And it's not just Canadian equities, you know, Canadian assets in general, the Canadian dollar, that kind of thing. So it's an ideal completion portfolio for Canadian investors. I think that's the main thing. The other two aspects of it are that really it's a relatively easy strategy to understand because it involves basically investing in the companies of tomorrow, today. 
So it's a long-term investment strategy, and it's inherently, you know, makes sense. We believe to uh, uh, to, to private investors to to say to them, look, what we're aiming to do is invest for five to ten years at a time, maybe more today in companies that will still be doing well in five and ten years time and that just kind of makes sense to people and of course it also makes sense that the market is quite a short-term mechanism which can underestimate the abilities of the ability of companies to continue to do well the market focuses very much on the short term and doesn't necessarily really analyze the long term properly so by investing today in the companies of tomorrow we have a strategy which can actually deliver superior performance better performance than if you were just to invest in you know, a passive ETF or indeed, you know, most of our competitors out there. And then the final aspect, I think the reason why, you know, this this uh, strategy has been presented to Canadian investors is because it has a history of providing, as I mentioned there, very strong downside protection when things get tough. So if you like, you can build it into your portfolio. You can have it as the kind of cornerstone or bedrock of your equity portfolio. And indeed, you know, on top of that cornerstone and bedrock, you can go out and perhaps do things that are perhaps a little bit more exciting, a little bit higher risk. You know, you might want to invest in resources and commodities. You might want to invest in, you know, sexy tech startups, that kind of thing. The problem with that being is that if markets have a sudden downturn, those things can suffer quite badly. Whereas this strategy is all about companies that actually hold up, have historically held up pretty well in in economic downturns in the past. So, you know, if you've got this this thing at the core of your portfolio, then you can go out and be a bit more adventurous with other parts of your portfolio. You know that if things suddenly get tough out there, the history of this strategy is such that it's always it's always held up well in, in, in a more difficult environment. Just to give you one example, a recent example, you know, the first quarter of 2020 was a horrible quarter in in. Uh, uh, in equity markets, because the, the full weight of, of the, the pandemic began to began to hit the markets, just during that one quarter, this strategy outperformed the index by six percent just in one quarter, because it was a down quarter. It's fairly typical of the way this strategy has performed in the past. That's really interesting, and and I know you've talked a bit about the investment strategy in the discussion we've had so far. I'd be interested to know potentially an example of an industry. So if I'm trying to think through. It's multinationals that service global countries, that service the globe or many countries that aren't in cyclical industries. When I think about that type of business, I would be thinking previously, multinationals serving many countries, airlines, banks, some of those parts that are. What are types of companies or industries that are non-cyclical that still service these? Like, How should we be thinking about this from a broad industry perspective? Sure. I mean, um, to, to give you a, a pretty classic example, well, the starting point for, for selecting companies with us, really, the, almost the first question we ask about any company we come across is, is it in an industry which has got a long-term secular growth tailwind behind it? And by secular growth, what I mean is growth that will be long-lasting and carry on for many years, but also growth that won't be that affected by an economic downturn. To give you an example, healthcare. Okay, healthcare is a classic example of a secular growth industry because people are getting older in the so-called developed world and indeed in parts of the emerging world too, notably China. And populations are getting older as they do so, their demand for healthcare tends to rise. And so that industry is, is engaged in a long-term secular growth trend. And as a result of that, you know, you will find healthcare companies in this strategy. They grow, and of course, if uh, if the economy has a nasty downturn, people continue to get to get unwell and to need treatment and 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 that kind of thing, and so you are protected to some extent from from a kind of classic economic downturn. Another example of which you will find, you know, many stocks in in this portfolio is digitization. So the digitization of everything, if you like, 
is, is strongly represented in this portfolio. So, for example, you've got MasterCard, which is engaged in the digitization of payments, a process which is not yet complete. You've got Alphabet, which is engaged in the digitization of advertising and, and a number of other companies uh, apart from those two. So those are two examples of, of secular growth industries. But the entire portfolio is comprised of companies, each and every one of which is engaged in some kind of secular growth trend. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you digging in a little bit to that. I'm really excited about this because this is one of our first sort of marquee fund coverage for, for the frontier. And I'd love to know a bit about how CGE became a marquee fund and why you think it's been so successful. Is it that downside risk mitigation? Is it the returns? Why do you think this fund's been so popular and seen so much growth? Well, it's true that the fund has has grown considerably and attracted a lot of attention. But in fact, you know, we manage a number of other funds around the world using this exact same investment strategy and our assets under management generally have have grown you know, very dramatically. So for example, if you went back to the beginning of 2020, the total AUM uh, in this strategy was about 5 billion Canadian dollars. It's now uh, more like uh, 16 billion Canadian dollars. So we've seen a lot of asset growth right across the board, but this fund has been no exception. But with specific reference to, uh, to this fund, it was launched in May 2018. And as we presented the fund, we said, look, the strategy behind this fund has got a history of providing downside protection when the markets get difficult. And then sure enough, the markets did get difficult towards the end of 2018. And the strategy very strongly outperformed in that quarter. So people who may have been watching it and thinking about it and thinking, well, let's just keep an eye on this thing and see how it does, actually saw it do what it kind of said on the tin in the first place. And then I think that attracted a lot of attention to it. Then you've had 2019 and 2020, the funds outperformed in both of those years as well. Um, so the history of the strategy is that it historically, in years when the market's been down, the strategy has very strongly outperformed the market. While in years the market's been up, it's done something like the market. And that's a great way to deliver outperformance, if you like. It's a useful way because it means advisors can say to their clients, look, I'm gonna, I want to include this fund in your portfolio because I want to give you a little bit of of downside protection and reassurance, but you don't have to do that at the expense of long-term outperformance against equity markets. Because if you keep holding up well when the markets drop and then keeping up with the markets really well when they rise, you end up with a lot of outperformance, but generated in this kind of useful way. And then, of course, there are the other aspects of, of it, the absence from cyclicals, uh, you know, mines, oils, banks, and the heavy presence in things like technology and consumer and healthcare, which don't tend to be so richly represented in Canadian equity portfolios, that, that makes it a good fit, if you like, for, for uh, Canadian investors. And I think these various factors have been the main reasons why it's, it's attracted a lot of attention in, uh, in Canada. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, and actually diving in on that sort of how or how an advisor could use this product with their clients, would you say this is a good core strategy? So are you looking for a particular type of client? Like if I'm an advisor, who is this fund for? I think we know how to position it as that downside protection with still a fair amount of the growth that's available. But who am I looking for in my book that would be well positioned or who would like this type of product? Well, I think probably we can only go so far in talking about this because the suitability of the product is entirely a question for the for the advisor. And they must, of course, take account of the client's appetite for risk and the client's time horizon and that kind of thing. But, you know, generalizing, therefore, greatly about this kind of thing, I think the kind of clients that it potentially suits are clients who 
have a risk tolerance, i.e. they're happy to be in equities, but they are cautious about that. So, you know, they don't want to necessarily take on the full weight of, of you know, Canadian and global equity market risk. So the strategy has historically generated slightly less risk than a typical benchmark of, of developed market equities. So there's that, that one thing. And then there's this downside protection part as well. It is suitable for Canadian investors, or if you like, investors who've got a, a, a portfolio of Canadian shares because of this idea that it can offset or, or, or complete a Canadian equity portfolio. Then I think the other thing that's really important is that it's suitable for clients who have a long-term mindset. This is a long-term investment strategy. It invests in companies typically for five to 10 years at a time. It's designed to work over that kind of time frame. You know, there'll be periods during which this strategy might not do very well, just as there are periods in which equity markets might not do very well. So it must be, you know, used, I, I think, with uh, long-term investing clients in mind, you know, clients that have a long-term objective, you know, uh, with their with their savings. And then, you know, over any kind of rolling five-year period, for example, this strategy is, has always tended to do very well in the past. To, to reiterate, cautious investors, investors with plenty of exposure to Canadian equities, and then investors that have a long-term mindset. I think that's really important, especially when considering how if an advisor is thinking through their book of business, their customer base, they're looking at a product, they're interested in it. The next portion is they need to think about who is it going to be appropriate for, who's going to be excited by this opportunity and buy this type of product. You know, positioning it is so important when you're an advisor to explain it to a customer. You want to make sure it's appropriate for them, obviously with with suitability and 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 whatnot, but also you want to make sure that from uh, from their understanding and their comprehension that they're going to be excited about it or feel like it's a good fit as well. And somebody who is cautious, I think that's a really, really good strategy or a really good way to summarize it. You know, cautious investors, people who want to be in, in equities, but are you know, with a little bit of trepidation maybe, as well as people who have exposure to Canadian equities who are looking for something to offset some of the cyclicality. You know, we have the home bias here like everybody does. And that's a really, really helpful type of product to have to maybe offset some of that home bias fluctuations, let's say. And so then as, as a final question, from my perspective, I think it's relatively clear, but how can advisors use this fund to try to grow their business? It's a difficult one to answer because, you know, advisors in managing their businesses, you know, may have different objectives and may want to grow in, in different directions and, and that kind of thing. I think um, the great thing about a fund like this is that you can, you know, if you can point to a history of strong performance and not just from this fund, as I say, which came into being in the in mid 2018, but of the strategy behind it, um, then I think advisors are able to have you know this strategy in their in their toolkit and say, look, I am able via this relatively straightforward investment strategy to give you a great global exposure, which fits uh, potentially very well with the investments that you already have, um, because you know whatever you've got out there, whatever you've got in equities, there aren't actually that many strategies that, while remaining fully invested, have historically been able to beat the market by a lot when it's falling. You see what I mean? So it's a strategy which is, uh, has, has provided downside protection without the need for fund managers to kind of get the timing right to predict when markets are going to fall, which is a notoriously difficult thing to do. And a lot of fund managers fail to do that. So it can be, I think, helpful to an advisor to build that business in that it provides you another option, if you like, another way to get exposure to equities, which may well fit with the equity investments that their clients already have, and that it brings something new to the party, do you see what I mean? Um, and therefore, if you're an advisor and you're the only advisor 
you know, in your area offering this kind of fund, then you've got an additional weapon in your armory, if you like, with which to attract clients and with the logic, if you like, to interest clients. Of course, depending on what they already have, which, you know, I, as I understand it, many Canadian investors have a little bit of home bias in their overall portfolios. Uh, and this is a great answer to that. Also, as I say, you know, if investors have been reading that, you know, markets, for example, recently have taken a little bit of a tumble, there are reasons why one should perhaps be a little bit, you know, cautious about equities because some of the things that have driven equities up in the last few years, such as, you know, unparalleled quantitative easing uh, by central banks around the world, you know, unprecedented fiscal easing by governments in the form of furlough schemes and, and helping people to get through the pandemic. Some of these things which have driven equity markets up are probably likely to begin to be withdrawn. So if you like, some of the stalls are going to be pulled away from under equity markets. And this at a time when they are on very high valuations. So having, uh, you know, promoting a strategy to clients which has uh, this history of holding up well when, when things get a little bit tougher, you know, might be a good way to, uh, to, uh, to get clients to have exposure to equities because that's the only way they're going to be able to produce, you know, any decent returns given how low, you know, yields are in, 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 in most kind of fixed interest instruments these days. So if you like, I'm trying to have it both ways. I'm saying, you know, equity markets, one should be a little bit cautious about um, and be pretty selective about the kind of funds that you invest in. But the funds that you select, I think it probably makes sense to have funds that, uh, if you like, have a foot, you know, quite permanently, if you like, gently on the brakes, just making sure that, you know, if things go bad, you're not going to get an even worse performance in, in the funds that you've invested your clients in. And that's certainly been the history of this strategy. So I think it's a, it is a fund that more than ever now is of its time. I mean, it's, it's remarkable how well this strategy has performed, given that really for, you know, all the time it's been in existence in, in our company, you know, we've been in a kind of rampant bull market with a few exceptions. But the way this thing has outperformed, as they say, by making a big difference, you know, from the markets when they're falling, but then doing something like the markets when they're rising, you know, maybe the best days of this of this strategy are yet to come. I, I can't make any predictions for you as to where equity markets are going to go. But if they did happen to be a little bit more difficult than the history of this strategy, well, to put it another way, the history of this strategy is that it has not had a down year in US dollar terms since 2008. And there have been three down years in, uh, in the index, in, in equity markets, if you like, developed equity markets generally. So in each of those down years, the strategy managed to produce a positive return. And that kind of thing really helps advisors, you know, when they say, look, you know, the, the clients, I, I believe, feel the pain of loss, you know, more than they experience the, the pleasure of gain, if you like. And it's at those times when an advisor can you know, come under pressure from, from, uh, from their investors, look, you're losing me money effectively. If, you know, the uh, the advisors promoted a strategy which holds up well when things get tough, then, you know, I think that really helps to cement the relationship with their clients. And the client will look extremely favorably on that advisor if, it, if he manages to help them to dodge the worst effects of a nasty equity market downdraft, if you like. All this is to say, you know, we, we cannot guarantee downside protection. Markets, you know, can surprise you. They do different things. Sometimes, you know, the safest companies in the world, you know, go down for no explicable reason. But that has been the history of this strategy. And one has to some extent to be guided by that history. No, I think that makes perfect sense. And I mean, I, I totally agree when you think about one of the greatest parts of this this fund or one of the best aspects of this fund is how it's an easy sell to a customer. It's easy to explain sort of the historical performance. It's easy to explain the types of, of companies that it's in. 
And I think it's easy for a customer or a, a, yeah, an investor to understand what they're getting themselves into. And so to be able to come in and you know, you know that archetype of customer, you know that this is somebody who I love that it kind of has their foot permanently on the brakes a little bit. That could be a really nuanced discussion. Let the customer know, look, I understand your specific needs. I understand your specific tolerance, what's a good fit. And here's a way that I'm going to try to help you use that as well as the people who have a lot of Canadian equity exposure, who may be reading the news, who may be getting a bit concerned and who may be looking for something. So there's a lot of great opportunities for advisors to grow their business with this type of product. Absolutely. I, I think that's, I hope that's right. Well, look, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I think this was really great. It's awesome to be able to talk about CGE. I think people are going to have a really good understanding at the end of this now of what it's about, how it works, how they can use it, how they can position it to clients and how they can grow their business. So this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure, James. Thank you very much. And thanks for all the great questions. Global equity funds can be a great resource to bring up in the next conversation with your client about diversification. In Canada, most portfolios have a home bias. Using global equities to counteract them is critically important. It's easy to explain to clients of any level of sophistication how a global approach can help diversify a portfolio. So next time you're looking at diversifying, think global. Not all funds are created equal, so spend time to see how they invest, what markets they're investing in, and how that can complement your current strategy. Thanks again to Michael for joining us on the podcast. To close off the show, I'd like to welcome all of our new subscribers and personally thank you for joining us on The Frontier. If you like what you hear, drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you join us. We'll see you next time on The Frontier.